This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, I'm Roger. That's Rob. We're going to talk about some Mike Duffy for half an hour now. Canada's most uh, innocent man. Who, who, who has gone 31-0 and 0 in a high-profile court case in this country before Mike Duffy? Is that a first? You know, that's some trivia that I don't expect you to have on the tip of your tongue. But, but here is a trivia question that we should all ponder for the moment. Okay. Who, who is a happier Canadian today, Mike Duffy or Pamela Wallen? Well, or a few other senators, too. Uh, boy, I tell you what, it's it's not often you'll see someone run the table like that. You don't often see criminal cases with that many charges. And you got to wonder maybe if it was so, it was so many charges that the crown was just uh, spread too thin and they just they mailed it in on so many of these because the, the cases just seemed incredibly weak in some cases. Um, but at the heart of it, what, what is uh, Mike Duffy alleged to have done here, right? There were some charges that dealt with travel. They maybe made trips that were questionable and shouldn't have claimed expenses. But it's pretty easy for the judge to go back and say, well, no, here's where he went. And this is a legitimate business for a senator, at least under the rules. Same thing with the housing expenses under the rules. He didn't do anything wrong. The $90,000 was kind of the main thing that people focused on. The, the money from Nigel Wright to Mike Duffy, was that accepting a bribe? Problem was, Nigel Wright was never accused of giving a bribe. So how can you charge the guy on the other end of accepting a bribe if you didn't think the other guy was doing the bribing to begin with? And so that, that fell apart uh, pretty easily. So, you know, again, we talked about it at the outset. Here we have another case, a high-profile case, where the Crown seemed blind to the weaknesses of its own arguments and uh, suffered an embarrassing loss. Uh, a loss, And now you've got this high-profile individual who is at least certainly claiming that he's vindicated. Is You know, I guess the difference from the Gomeshi thing is Mike Duffy's got a job to go back to. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure he will. And two years' worth of paychecks to go back to as well. Hey, let's have a, a golf clap for Charles Adler, who now joins the program. Charles, it's good to have you back. Good to have uh, you on here. Uh, now, if, if I didn't listen to the entire show this morning, so correct me if I'm wrong. Has anyone asked the most important question the morning after? <laughs> was, well, got, I don't know. It depends I, what it is. Yeah, I've got one in mind, but what are you thinking of? <laughs> have Mike Duffy and Gian Gameshi been seen in recent years <laughs> in the same place at the same time? <laughs> Well, that is a good question. I bet, I bet they, I bet there's a, there must be a photograph somewhere at some point of the two of them. I, I think back in there, both when they were in their media heydays, they must have crossed paths. I tell you, it is a crown of thorns, <laughs> isn't it ever? I mean, you know, to to focus on just one one little um, something here. I mean, you mentioned uh, Rob a few moments ago that they overcharged, or at least uh, most people who observe these things uh, are always suspicious when they uh, overcharge. You know, thirty one charges. Generally, you get the kitchen sink. You know, the thirty one mm-hmm. charges thrown at you when the crown really doesn't want a case. Uh, what they really want is for you to feel very intimidated and to contact them and and give them a deal. But the deal, of course, always um, includes a guilty plea. And when you when you do the guilty plea, you don't get your Senate payback, and you don't get your Senate gig, and you don't get your pension. So the guilty uh, plea, uh, you know, even though it, it'll keep you out of the um, you know crowbar hotel. Uh, is still going to be very, very expensive. So that, that's, when, that's why they generally overcharge. But aside from that, 
One of the things that uh, links the Gameshi business to this isn't just that the Crown looked really bad and got lectured by the uh, judge and didn't want to even show up for a news conference afterwards to try to explain uh, to the public why they peed away millions of dollars. Okay, fine. Uh, But that's not the only thing they have in common. What they have in common is this little thing called email. Uh, There were email uh, accounts that were used by the defense in the Gameshi case uh, to prove that there were many contacts made between uh, the complainants and uh, Gian Gameshi, which destroyed the credibility of the complainants. Well, similarly, uh, there were many emails from the prime minister's office to Mike Duffy, and Mike Duffy kept all of them, so all he had to do was a, a document dump. And because those emails were clearly from the PMO, uh, there was no doubt about it, uh, it was very, very difficult for the Crown to actually get witnesses from the PMO and and, and put them under withering cross-examination uh, from Duffy's lawyer, because that would have made it even look worse uh, for Harper. So that when, when the judge saw all of the evidence being presented from Mike Duffy's side, including documents, the, the email, with the Crown not challenging almost any of it, uh, the judge had no choice but to do what you were talking about earlier, Roger and Rob, but, um, you know, give Duffy a, a, a 31 and 0. Yeah, no kidding. So, I mean, I make the joke, Charles, that uh, Pamela Wallen's probably got to be pretty feeling pretty happy today. She's still under investigation, to the best of my knowledge. What's the uh, what's the uh, uh, advice to the RCMP? Is it give up or is it try harder? Well, you know, the, the thing is that you know, I, you know call, call me uh, someone who's you know biased in favor of the RCMP. I happen happen to have a lot of respect for the RCMP. Uh, the, the RCMP don't on their own necessarily initiate all of this i mean there is a political system and there is pressure uh, on 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 the mounties uh, to, to do whatever they can to round up whatever evidence they can uh, but the, the mounties aren't going to be in charge of mike duffy's evidence so here's the point uh, none of this happens without the crown without justice making a decision and I, I know that you know there's a whole industry out there um, full of people many of whom are making money some of whom aren't uh, they're just you know sort of building their reputations on this idea that you know four or five evil columnists in the mainstream media <laughs> force the RCFP to do this and that and force the crown to do this and that you know none of the people who actually believe this stuff uh, have had any uh, serious and substantive contact with the uh, justice or with the RCMP because that's all nonsense. But the, but the point is that the Crown is the only entity in this entire equation that is supposed to represent us, and the Crown screwed up. Well, they did, and and I, I don't know why they they seem so blind to to the weaknesses in in their own case, or, or for that matter, why, why the RCMP didn't. Uh, warn against uh, pursuing some of these charges. So, it, I mean, if we take a step back, though, and we look at the, the political fallout from this, Charles, because no doubt there was embarrassment to, to the Harper government in some of the issues that quickly arose after Duffy was appointed, which led to uh, rash decisions being made. Obviously, the fact that Duffy was charged in this trial beginning, that certainly cast a shadow on, on the election last year. When you look at what happened here, where, where Duffy himself... Yeah, maybe it was more or less vindicated. And the judge comes back with a pretty harsh commentary about the conduct of, of Harper in the prime minister's office. Do you think if this verdict had come down last fall that this would have been even more damaging 
to, to Stephen Harper? Oh, I, absolutely. And remember, uh, while uh, Duffy's uh, hardly a babe in the woods and the judge didn't portray him that way, the message from the judge was simple. Uh, uh, you know, th- this isn't the complaint department. Uh, this is the law courts. Uh, and uh, because we have ethical issues with someone who's doing pretty much the same thing that, that, that many of these other senators are doing and many others are doing, uh, you, you, you can't deprive a person of his liberty. You know, change the laws, change the regulations. And, of course, what really offended uh, the judge was all of those documents which showed how the, the Harper government um, essentially – uh, was 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 issuing Mike Duffy talking points and talking points is a polite term. <laughs> lies. I mean, you know how how are you supposed to lie about this? How are you supposed to cover up the lie? How are you supposed to cover up the cover up? And Nigel Wright, who I guess you know, having his uh, connections on on Bay Street and you know having a tremendous reputation, he was portrayed by media for the longest time as this you know basic uh, basically a, a good guy, and he doesn't come across as clean. Uh, you know, when when you read the entire judgment uh, from uh, from Viancourt yesterday, but I guess the the, the larger point here is uh, that the Crown did not have to. Uh, go forward with this, and you're absolutely right. Um, the, 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 the Crown made a mistake by going forward. They should have known the weaknesses of their own case. And there's also this uh, sort of rule that the Crown is supposed to follow. Uh, they're not supposed to charge unless they believe there is a high, not a, 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 an average, a high probability of conviction. And some of us uh, publicly, many of us privately uh, said when this first thing, when this horse left the barn a couple of years ago, that there is almost no chance of conviction, especially on the serious charges. Does this give the senators, though, like uh, a bit of a pass? For it, it just seems to me that the, the kind of the, the directive that was given to senators uh, on this matter was, hey, if you can create even the most, uh, uh, you know. Just, just some sort of connection, any kind of connection to your expense and what you're doing. But we'll believe that it was necessary. We'll believe that it was legitimate. Well, I mean, Duffy had evidence. Duffy had documents uh, that, you know, the Senate itself, you know, run by conservatives, were telling him this. Yeah. This is, you know, this is, so once again, it's not that Duffy's a, a babe in the woods. You know, he was part of it. But he was playing by their rules, and uh, you know what? What you know, their rules don't look like rules uh, to the rest of us. And the judge's message was: you may not like their rules, but you can't put a guy in jail for following their rules. It's interesting that I mean, Duffy became kind of the poster boy for everything that was wrong with the Senate, and Justin Trudeau has, has pledged to change the Senate. These are ostensibly now more independent senators, and the narrative that emerges from this this verdict was that, and maybe it shouldn't surprise us, the Prime Minister's office was very interested in its agenda, didn't want uh, senators getting in the way of of their agenda. So, as a as a voter. We've got two um, unpalatable choices, I suppose. We have a PMO that tells senators how high to jump, or we've got an unelected Senate that just does what it wants and can get in the way of or block legislation passed by elected politicians. Look, uh, I'm for either abolishing the Senate or or doing what Preston Manning wanted a long time ago, except that I just don't see it flying. You know, the uh, equal effective elected, uh, elected I can see, uh, effective I could actually see. <laughs> I just can't see the equal. I can't see the Atlantic uh, provinces yeah. and Quebec ever signing off on, uh, you know, giving uh, Alberta no more power in the Senate. 
than Prince Edward Island. Uh, speaking of Prince Edward Island, guys, have you talked about, uh, you know, why this happened in the first place? I mean, the idea was that, that, that Duffy was a resident of Prince Edward Island, which was something that was, you know, technically legal. Uh, and the idea that he should be the senator for Prince Edward Island was not his idea. Right. That, too, came from the prime minister's office. Duffy knew, knew where he was living. He, he knew that he was, had been living in, in Ottawa for decades. It was no, uh, no secret. He was a very much a public figure. And he wanted them to make him the senator from Ontario. Ontario being a large province, you know, senators do pass on and or retire. And so there were opportunities to make him senator from Ontario, but the Harper's PMO insisted that he be the senator from PI. So when you think about it, if they hadn't played that silly game, which, by the way, they got their own lawyers advising them, at least one called Ben Perrin, saying, don't do this, just don't do this. Uh, if they hadn't done the uh, Harper, uh, Duffy's a senator from PI thing, None of this would have happened. Yeah, exactly. I still like that clip, by the way. I can't remember if it was CTV. I think they went out and got it of like just doing streeters around uh, uh, around his community in PEI and saying, "Have you ever seen Mike Duffy here?" Do you? <laughs> and I'm just like, "No, never seen him around here." <laughs> well, he has done, you know, once again to support his own case because he does understand the law and he's had access to good lawyers. I mean, over the years, he has done a lot of reno work uh, to that place in in Cavendish PEI, and yes, he has spent uh, you know more time there. Obviously, uh, not as much. Well, lately. Lately, he's been there a lot, but, uh, you know, over the years, not nearly as much there as he was in Ottawa. But he wasn't alone. I mean, uh, you know, last night I was listening to a, um, a story from a, a friend of mine who, you know, many years ago uh, had someone that he was working with. In this case, it was a liberal. It wasn't a conservative administration. It was a liberal administration. And uh, the uh, liberal government of the day... Uh, appointed uh, one of its friends uh, to the Senate, and uh, he was given an appointment as a Quebec senator. He hadn't lived in Quebec in decades. <laughs> and so he was asking my friend to give him some, some advice on, uh, you know, which realtor to use to get himself some sort of shack, because he was just told, look, just, just get a shack on the other side of the river. <laughs> and so he bought some, some kind of house. I don't know what he bought. He might have just bought a, a cottage in the, in the Gatineau's or something. But the point is, but this has been going on for a long time. Right. Well, Charles, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll ask you to, to stand by if you don't mind. We'll continue this conversation after a quick break. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge. This is News Talk 770. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge chatting with our friend Charles Adler about the uh, Duffy verdict yesterday. And, uh, Charles, I guess unlike that... Unbelievable. You couldn't even work a shaft joke in there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to taint shaft with I, I waiting, this business. I was waiting for the shaft joke. <laughs> Sorry for being, you know, Roger's evil twin, but I'm waiting for the shaft joke. You guys. Shame on you all. Uh, there's another guy we mentioned at the outset, uh, the other high-profile trial, but... Mike Duffy, unlike that other guy, has a, a job to go back to, and I'm sure he will go back to that job. So what is it going to be like now having Mike Duffy as an active sitting senator again? Well, he's going to have a lot less work to do. <laughs> Most of this work was, uh, you know, being out there in, in the medicine hats and, 
uh, Weyburns and, and, and all those other places in the hinterland where the so-called base is, where the base is really energized and, and excited and, and ready to roll out dough and, and, and you know, show up for these dues. I mean, uh, that's what he was doing. He was, he, was, he was a campaigner. He was a fundraiser. He was part of the, the fundraising machine. So if, if all he has to do is uh, sit through some boring uh, Senate committees, uh, he's not going to have nearly as much work on his hands. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like he wasn't making money being out on the trail. He wasn't doing it for free. He wasn't volunteering. Um, but, the, but the point is his job will not be as elaborate as it used to be in the days when Stephen Harper was minding the store. Yeah, and wasn't that his purpose was to sort of play that journalist role when he could, you know, introduce Stephen Harper at a campaign event and do a Q&A with him and make it look like, hey, the prime minister's really getting it from a, a bona fide journalist here. I mean, he doesn't really have a role anymore. Well, he, he, some of those, I mean, one, you know, there were relatively few of those events. Most sure. of them were, were uh, just uh, Duffy helping to raise money for the uh, local constituency and then, of course, getting some money, which was uh, totally legal, by the way, from the local constituency uh, for, for showing up. As I say at the barbecue, because when 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 Mike Duffy shows up, he's just a. Uh, I think everyone will agree with this. This is a completely nonpartisan statement. He's a fabulous storyteller. I mean, he just owns uh, the room, uh, and so uh, people who who pay money to to be in the room uh, really enjoy the guy, and 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 that that's what he was doing most of the time. There were some occasions where yeah, they set up what we'll call a a dummy interview, and I'm not uh, calling the former. A prime minister, a dummy, but you know, just a, an interview with the prime minister that that kind of looks like the prime minister's t- taking tough questions. <laughs> well, exactly, right? yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, that was just it. And by the way, he did own the room. Uh, that that he did, gave a pretty gripping performance when he was uh, uh, speaking to the red chamber, trying to to tell his side of things. There are very few people uh, in this country who are as skilled being a raconteur. As, uh, as Mike Duffy. I mean, think about it. If this whole thing had never happened, uh, Mike Duffy's reputation would be absolutely sterling as being a great storyteller. I mean, there are people who are good, uh, you know, fact regurgitators, and, uh, you know, they're okay as being polite, inoffensive, uh, never quotable pundits. Uh, but uh, when, when Mike Duffy showed up on your radio show or your, your TV show, people paid attention. No doubt about it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, do, do you think... I, well, I'm curious to see now, right? They, 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 a lot of the reporters tried to get him to say something yesterday. He just kind of smiled and went on his way. He's, he's going to say something at some point, we have to assume. Do you think he's going to really now try to, to bury Harper and company? Do you, do you, there's a real axe to grind here? I don't know whether he'll try to bury uh, Harper and company, but he will have a story to tell that a lot of people will want to hear, and they'll want to hear it uh, from his own mouth. And uh, there's no doubt that uh, uh, you know the Harper legacy will once again be collaterally uh, damaged by that. But let's face it, uh, Mike uh, Duffy's reputation has been run through the ringer uh, the last few years. I mean, Donald Bain, his, his lawyer, his very talented lawyer, suggested that, that nobody has taken a, a public horsewhipping like yeah. Like, like Duffy, and I'm, I'm saying it. I, I talk Western. You know, he talks Toronto, so he didn't. He didn't use the word horsewhipping. I don't know what you know <laughs> fancy language used, but essentially that, that that's what he was saying. That you know, Mike Mike Duffy's really been you know taken taken behind the barn. There I go being Western again. The thing <laughs> is that uh, nobody has uh, taken it the way uh, Duffy has. So 
Uh, he's uh, probably going to write a book, at least one book about this, and he'll uh, still be active. And my guess is he'll be active on media, and lots of media people will um, give him the platforms because, once again, uh, he owns the ears and he owns the eyeballs. Uh, will he be saying a whole lot of benevolent things about uh, Harper and the, the guys that uh, Mike Duffy calls the kids in short pants? Uh, no. The, the the real question out of all this isn't uh, you know what it does or doesn't do to uh, to Harper's legacy. It's what it does or doesn't do uh, to the conservative brand. Because I think anyone who's the least bit objective will agree that that brand was debased uh, by this entire thing. Um, going forward, how much of a difference will it make? It depends on who the new conservative leader is. But if the conservative leadership uh, wants to uh, try to make the case. Uh, to the public, to the donor base, and everyone else, that this was a, a media conspiracy, and that the the judge was a liberal, and the the, the RCMP is liberal, and the you know I mean, yeah. if they want to if they want to play that game, there's just no credibility there. There are about two or three percent of conservatives, you know, willing to to swallow that kind of uh, baloney uh, at any time. Uh, they're just kind of wired for that. Yeah. Uh, but most of the thoughtful conservatives do not. I don't think uh, want to listen to that nonsense. Yeah, no, it would uh, drive them away, I think. Uh, and by the way, that's Charles Adler with the Frontier Parlance again, trying to convince me to start watching Longmire on uh, on uh, Netflix. All right, Charles, I'll do it. I'll watch it. I'll tune it in. Have you? Have you not? No, I haven't so watched it yet. This uh, there's a secret here between Charles and I too on Twitter. A little while ago, he was trying to convince me to change my name to Bourbon Kincaid because he thought that sounded <laughs> cowboyish. I am <laughs> wearing as, as we speak. Yeah. I am wearing my yes. sheriff of Absaroka County. Uh, which means uh, the county that Longmire operates in, you know, out of out of Wyoming. I mean, I'm just I'm just nuts for that show. Uh, by, by the way, Longmire is played by an Aussie. Just so you know. Oh really? That... I've never seen an Aussie. I mean, Aussies love playing Americans. Uh, you know, we're not going to go down the, the, the Mel. Yeah, I was going to say leave Mel Gibson out here. of this. <laughs> Mel, Mel did a great job <laughs> until until you know Mel ran into the cops. But in right. any case, uh, this this dude just does the, the best. Uh, American cowboy and American law enforcement officer that I've ever seen. Uh, another plug, and I, I don't have any money in this. I just love the guy who writes the books. I love Craig, and I love uh, Absaroka County, and I love Longmire. So any any of you have Netflix, um, uh, try uh, Longmire on for size, and if, if you don't like it, uh, let me know at, uh, at charlesadler.com. My guess is uh, you'll love it. You're going to get your, your radio show flooded with uh, phone calls about Longmire now, too, from the <laughs> Calgary audience. Charles, I like you dropped it. CharlesAdler.com. Listen to him on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Canada Talks. Charles, thank you so much for your time today. You bet. All right, take care. I have Charles no idea what you guys are talking about, by the way. <laughs> He's been after me to watch that show. So. What is it? I don't know. It's a Western on uh, on uh, Netflix. We were just, we were just uh, uh, you know, mm. texting each other a little while ago. We were talking about TV. got onto the topic of TV, and he said that's the show that he's big into right now. And I was halfway through House of Cards, so I didn't have uh, time for anything new. But And I got Game okay. of Thrones coming back, right? Hey, and uh, Archer's Veep, on right now. Veep so. starts Sunday, too. My goodness. There we go. All right. We're going to pause for the 1030 News. When we come back, we're going to talk about 10,000 hours. And um, you know whether there's something to this theory. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. 974-8255. A story out of Winnipeg today that seems to play in a theme we've we've talked about on this show before, Roger. We've, we uh, spoke a few times to the, uh, was it the Metev family, I believe, yes. in, uh, uh, gosh, Virginia. Massachusetts or Maryland is where they are. Maryland, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, near Washington, D.C. So I was, I was closer. 
<laughs> uh, but they'd been in an ongoing battle with uh, Child and Family Services because they they would let their children walk uh, to uh, a park that they like to go to and walk by themselves. I think it was like a quarter of a mile or something like that. So the story out of Winnipeg is is weird. And hopefully we'll, we'll learn more about this story because on the surface it looks rather outrageous. So here's the, the Canadian press version of the story. A Winnipeg woman says she was reported to and investigated by Child and Family Services simply for letting her children play in her backyard. In her backyard. Jackie Kendrick, a stay-at-home mom, says a Child and Family Services CFS worker showed up unexpectedly in early April saying they'd received a complaint about her children being unsupervised. Kendrick has three children, ages 2, 5, and 10, and says they often play in her fenced-in backyard after school. Kendrick says she's either with them or watching them from her living room, though she said her oldest also helps out by looking after her younger siblings. But she says a file has been created, and she's worried that any future complaints could end up with her children being taken from her. She also says the grilling she underwent from the CFS worker left her in tears, asking if we've ever dealt with CFS before, what my childhood was like, how I punished my children. She wanted to look and see where my kids slept, see if we had enough food in the fridge. Uh, So CFS officials didn't give their side of the story, but if nothing came of it, there was obviously nothing concerning or dangerous going on. So why was this even an, an issue to begin with? Yeah, I want to know who called, first of all. Like, is there is this a thing, by the way, that I don't know about? I mean, I'm not, you know that I'm the one without the kids here, but are there really concerned moms and dads who will frequently uh, peer over the fence just to make sure, like walk up and down the alleys? Any kids playing alone in that backyard? Uh, call the cops on these people. Like, what's going on? Like, because this sounds to me like somebody is just irritated by the noise of children having fun in the neighborhood and decided that uh, th- that uh, they would do something about it. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, and to ha- you would have no idea whether the mom's watching through the window or not. I mean, you know, when my kids were, were younger, like a lot younger, I mean, they're 13 and 10 now. We used to have a sandbox in our yard and, and they would uh, sit and play in the sandbox and, you know, we'd watch from the window if we're you know, making dinner or doing the, the dishes or something like that. And you're watching your kid. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, boy, these, these kids were off in some, some park or some neighborhood by themselves. They're in the yard. The yard is fenced in. The mom says she can see them from, from the window. Maybe there's an issue here with the two-year-old being out. But again, you know your kids. If you're confident your, your two-year-old uh, can play outside and your 10-year-old is, is capable of watching the, the child outside. I mean, are there, there knives being kept in, in the backyard? Do they have bears a roaming run, through the neighborhood? I don't understand. There's a running mower, an electric lawnmower right near the dive tank, <laughs> right <laughs> near the pool. Look, I mean, 9748255, share your thoughts on this matter. I can't imagine that there, I think there'd be one person, maybe two people in the world that would have an issue with this. One being the person who called in the complaint Two, the child and family services worker named Jackie or uh, the Jackie Kendrick had to talk to, but I can't imagine anybody would come down on the side of, of child and family services here. Cause it seems to me the message is, and correct me if I'm wrong again, I'm just trying to feel my way blindly through this bewildering world of parenting, but it seems that the message here from child and family services is your children should not be playing unattended in your backyard. They should be playing unattended in your basement where other dangers lie, presumably. Well, <laughs> right? I, I guess the, the idea then that parents must be with their children 24-7, the idea of a kid playing in the backyard or in the basement by himself or herself, uh, this is, is now considered to be bad parenting or considered to be dangerous. 
Uh, but there is the question, I think, as you say, that, okay, someone made the call. Someone who got it in their head that uh, that this shouldn't be, or maybe they didn't like this family. How should Child and Family Services respond? I guess they can't ignore the call. Can't say, hey, get over yourself. We're, we're busy dealing with other stuff. But they could come and say, look, you know, unfortunately, I'm sorry to bother you. We got a call. We just, we got to check this out. This seems frivolous and trivial, but we got to, the, the, the fact that they came in, they, they seem to come in very aggressively. Yeah, and looked in the fridge too. That part I don't get. Uh, hi, Dale. Thanks for phoning in. What are your thoughts? Well, the thing is, is uh, it's part of the new world order. Children belong to the state and not <laughs> to the parents. Are you being serious right now or are you being... Pardon? Are you being serious or are you joking around? You said you tossed out the I'm new... I'm serious. Oh, okay. Why do you... Sorry. And, and the New World <laughs> Order, who's in connection with the Saudi royal family mm-hmm. to manipulate the oil prices to bring our what? economy what? down, to crash everything, to... How did, we, how, how did we get from talking about a, a mom in Winnipeg to talking about the Saudis and oil prices? Well, I, 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 you, didn't, you didn't bring order. us along. It's a big picture. What is the New World Order? The New World Order is controlled by the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. Okay. So the Rothschilds sent children and family services to this woman's house. Yes. That sounds uh, terrifying to yeah. Overall, if you look at the overall not, big picture of it, what's going on in the world, of what makes sense, so of what I, doesn't it, make it applies sense. to anything, I guess. Are people aware of this, though, Dale, or is it a great conspiracy that the, and the wool is being pulled well, over our eyes? it's not a conspiracy, eyes? it's a fact. No, but, but is the that, wool How do you know pulled, that? Yeah. How do you know about it? How are you allowed to call because a talk I, radio show? I have a show? lot of time, and I've been researching oh, this for a long time. How are, if you how listen are, to people like Alex Jones, <laughs> David Icke, Nigel Farage. How are you allowed to talk about this in mainstream media? Media, though it just seems so bizarre that they would not, allow you to do this if they've got this much to talk control. About because all mainstream media is owned by the same corporate. Oh, he's he's got us there. Let's talk to Jim, who might have a valuable phone call here. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Oh, that was. How are you guys doing today? Pretty okay. good. Well, we survived that one, Jim. <laughs> the, yeah, look, the bar is low. I, I just want to ask one question: What's a ten-year-old doing playing anyway? Shouldn't he be working in a factory or something? <laughs> you know, like it's ridiculous. It's like right. kids are playing in a backyard. There are iPhones and to be made. And by themselves, all siblings loving each other. That's that's just outrageous. I can't deal with it. Well, well done. Thanks, Jim. Jim is shocked at the notion that children are playing in the open air. Uh, hi, Grant. Thanks for the call. Hey, no problem. First of all, to Dale's call, I'm going to buy some stock in tinfoil. And secondly, oh, well, that's oh, yes. Better stock up on that. <laughs> better. Uh, no, I think a couple of points. One. When did adults forget that we were once kids ourselves? We uh, were all kids. We all wanted yeah. to go out into the neighborhood and find the trails that nobody had ever found, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we wanted to go on treasure hunts, and we wanted to get away from the idea of being stuck in school or stuck in the house. We wanted to get on our bikes. We wanted to do stupid things that now as a parent, we're like, oh, but I've got to let the kids live a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that's a good point, Grant, actually. It made me just think of something, because, you know, when your mom used to send you outside at, like, just after breakfast and say, make sure you're home by the time the streetlights come on or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Wasn't the arrangement, like, there was a pretty good bargain, right, that everyone on the street looks out for the kids? Like, isn't that the point? I know that when I'm, you know, when I'm on my porch or cutting my grass or something like that and a kid's riding his bike, if that kid falls off his bike, I'm going to go over there and help that kid. That was, like, always the notion, wasn't it? So when did we get yeah. so bad at identifying <laughs> when a kid's in trouble? Well, I don't know. It's, you know, and I remember as a kid, it was, you know, you had your block parent. There were signs they talked all about. Everyone watches out for each other. That was kind, of, and everybody knew each other. You know, that was the thing. We, if you had kids in the neighborhood, particularly if you were a kid, you kind of knew them. 
you know. But my other concern about this is when child services comes in, and I don't know the situation, but if it comes in sounding like the barrels were loaded, it teaches kids to be afraid of the people who should be protecting them. You know, it teaches them to be afraid of enforcers like law enforcement or, you know, just if it's handled poorly, these kids are now a little on edge when they see an authority figure because yeah. they're trying to take me away from mom and dad. No, and that's a great point because there was a story in BC uh, last year, I think it was, where, you know, the police were called. There was like a four and a six-year-old having a water fight. And I think one of the kids had taken off his bathing suit and police were called and the kids were, were terrified of the police after that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, to me, it's, it's, if there is a concern, if you're the neighbor and, or if, you know, you're the neighbor and you say, hey, guys, are you doing okay? Sure. Yeah, you know, but yeah, just, that was that, uh, that was that's exactly the point. I mean, and the story Rob just mentioned in Squamish, where, I mean, yeah, you had these two kids having a water fight, and one of the kids, like he was like three or four years old, decided to buck down. He didn't want to wear wet clothes anymore, oh and uh, yeah, so which is great, you know. I mean, cool, it's a hot day, kid, to have at her. But the neighbors, instead of going over to say, hey, you know, I think it's inappropriate, your kid's naked on the front lawn, they phone the police. No, it <laughs> yeah. it, it becomes like when did come, you know? I'm not saying. It's done by any kind of new world order. I just think we have put our own, we're, we're transplanting our fears as adults and teaching our children to be afraid in general. Yeah. You well, know, stop being adventurous. <laughs> no, well put, Grant. And that's, uh, that's a very good point. We thank you very much for your phone call. And in this case, too, like, let, it, it seems though the mom did nothing wrong here. The mom did nothing wrong at all. The kids are out playing in the yard. She can see them, uh, et cetera. Now, she was pretty rattled by the visit. And the aggressive questioning from from the uh, from from the child and family services worker, as this mom says, she's now afraid to let her kids go play outside. Right, because she doesn't want a second visit. Right. Well, if they come back, who knows what's going to happen then? And that's that's pretty terrifying. So now, what is this mom going to do? She did nothing wrong in the first place. Now she's terrified that the next time that someone knocks on her door, they're going to be demanding that she hand over her kids. It's terrible. Now, this might surprise you, but there is a renegade mom on the phone. A, rene- a rebellious, renegade mom. She's out of control. Her name's Jennifer. She says she lets her kids do this all the time. And she's willing to talk about it on the radio. We're going to hear from her when we come back from the news to 1130. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge talking about this uh, case out of Winnipeg where uh, three kids are playing in the yard, the fenced-in yard. Uh, it's a single mom. Uh, neighbor calls child and family services. Uh, one worker shows up and uh, questions the mom, looks around the house, and uh, really has her rattled. So a question about kids playing outside unsupervised, questions about uh, neighbors making these kinds of phone calls, how child and family services should handle those phone calls. I mean, it seems really odd, really odd that the neighbor went right to that, which suggests maybe there's, there's you know more to this story than we realize. Because why wouldn't the neighbor just go to the door? You would hope, yeah. Uh, say everything all right. I saw the kids outside, just making sure you're home or you knew they were outside or even just uh, for the neighbor himself or herself to say, well, okay, well, I can see these kids. Uh, what are they up to there? I'll kind of keep an eye on them to make sure everything's all right over there. See, that's good stuff. All right, I promised you this renegade... Don't spy on the kids. That'll look creepy, though. That's... No, keep an eye on the kids. Well, we promised <laughs> right. you this renegade mom had called in to say she does this all the time. Uh, this is Jennifer. But Jennifer, to protect your identity, we'll call you Katie Perry. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, Katie Perry, tell us what's going on here. Well, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and uh, we've been letting them play by themselves in the backyard for a full year now, so since they were two and four. 
and it's not like we toss them in the backyard and get in the car and go shopping. I mean, we keep right. an eye on them. We've got the windows open. To your point, there are no knives back there. It's not like they're taking a dip in a swimming pool. They're playing, right? It's like the bigger concern these days is that our kids are being raised indoors by televisions and iPads. And I don't know, I think this mom's doing the right thing. She's letting her kids run around and you know, be outside as kids should be growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And the notion that, that I mean, it's it's so much pressure on parents to think that, you know, I'm doing something wrong because I'm I'm loading the dishwasher and my kid's by himself in the next room or having a shower and the kids are, are playing. Um, you know, that, that you need to know your kids and know the situation they're in. And you, you don't need to be holding their hand by their side 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And every child is different, right? You need to know your kids. But in my experience, 10-year-olds are pretty capable individuals. I have a feeling that... You know, if the young guy was in trouble, he would probably be hollering in the house, Mom, come on out. Mm -hmm. You know, Timmy's tripped and scraped his knee. Or I mean, what's the worst you can do in a backyard? Well, yeah, that's kind of the thing I was thinking of, too, is it's like, you know, you talked about the knives. There's no knives in your backyard. Surely parents are cognizant of the the inherent dangers and risks associated with playing outside. But it's not like it's... Your entire surrounding, right? Yeah, they're raising bubbles practically today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm, and, and I'm looking at this article that we're, we're talking about in, in, in Winnipeg here, and nowhere does it say Child and Family Services was called in, and the first thing they did was turn off the wood chipper or something <laughs> like that, right? Like, all right. So what do your kids like to do in the backyard? Yeah, Katy Perry, what do they get up to? <laughs> well, we've got, you know, soccer balls and frisbees and skipping ropes and bubbles and... I mean, there are three very steep stairs coming down from the patio, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it up, and I'm sure they'll survive. They're probably eating dirt back there too, but I'm sure you're aware. Oh, of that. for sure, you okay. betcha. Thank you, Katie. Sorry, oh dear, you just outed her. Yeah, that was Katie Perry. Katie Perry doing a great job. Not Jennifer. Let's uh, let's talk to Debbie here. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for the call. Hi. Good morning. How are you? We're well, thanks. That's good. Well, first of all, I'm going to say 63 years of age. So raised in a totally different generation. Right. Raised in northern Alberta. Raised in a small town. I think the only people who wore helmets when you might have been uh, a little uh, babe in swaddling clothes, so to speak, were the people that were fighting the war. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. But I just, you know, I remember as a kid, a whole group of us chummed around. We rode our bikes. We went up onto this forested hill. We did have an issue with playing with campfires, but we didn't set the town on fire. But if there was an issue, we knew where mom was. We knew where the neighbor lady lived. We weren't, you know, like sequestered in these bubbles. We didn't have the technology that we have today. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And I remember my first grade teacher giving me a hug when I was doing my printing lessons. Now, if you do that, that's sexual assault. That's crazy. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beyond belief. I had a young boy come to my door in Abbeydale in the dead of winter. He rang the bell. I looked out. I thought, okay, where are your parents? What's up here? Mm-hmm. And someone had beat him up and taken his jacket. For 30 seconds, I thought, okay, should if somebody sees me taking this young boy in, knowing that we don't have kids, am I going to be in trouble? And I thought, you know what? Screw it. I gave him the phone. He phoned his dad. He knew the number. His dad was there and thanked me. But why are we in that kind of a mindset that we stop 
and think, should I help that little boy, like you said, falling off his bike? Yeah, no, that's a great point, Debbie, and thank you so much for the phone call. I think that keeps a lot of people, too, by the way, from doing things like coaching baseball and coaching soccer just because there's some stigmas attached to it. It's like, oh, here's a 30-year-old guy who wants to coach uh, five-year-old boys. That's There's got to be something wrong with him. Yeah, and you know that that's something else that's going on today. Not necessarily uh, one of the issues here, but uh, I think you know the caller speaks to to some some broader issues, uh, or at least some some bigger changes that have occurred in society. Let's uh, get Owen's phone call in here. Owen, go ahead. Hey, you guys. So I, I didn't hear quite what the story was. I answered the conversation late. I just, but I, I know of a situation in medicine happened. This actually happened to a friend of mine, and uh, you know, really nice fella. Uh, had a, a very good job. He was in his 50s at the time. And uh, uh, somebody phoned social services and reported him for something with his kids, uh, with his daughter. Yeah, and okay. so the social services went in there, guns blazing, took the kid. And he, he, I mean, went way crazy. They, they, he lost his job. He lost his house. He lost absolutely everything. After eight months, it was proven they didn't do it. it. And it literally, literally, when I say he died from this, it killed him. Right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good phone call, and it's a cautionary tale. And I think that what a lot of people don't recognize is that it's like, you know, when you call the, you know, the police, for example, and you call in a bomb threat type thing, there's there's not two ways that they come and deal with it. They show up lights and sirens and they shut the whole thing down and they evacuate buildings. There's nobody goes in and sniffs around. So when you call child and family services, the phone call that they get is one that says there is a child in danger. You need to get here and do something. And that's how they go in. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, shift gears. We're going to talk uh, about uh, adapting in Alberta, our ongoing series. And we're going to look at how families who are dealing with financial pressures are, are still trying to find time and money to to have a family vacation this year. We're back with more right after this. Happy lunch to you and yours. I'm Roger. Happy Friday lunch. Happy, well, yeah, sure. Soup today is uh, potato leek. Uh, and uh, weird. What? It's it's good. It's like the you have to get the, a potato though, where like the insides are coming out of a small crack in the bottom of it. You like you find some weird potato, and then you're like, "What's wrong with this potato?" It's like, "Oh, yeah, potato leak." <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> it's ch- it's chowdery sense. though. It's kind of like a vichyssoise. We'll put that on the menu for you. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's see here. This story, this story is kind of a weird one, and the the headline is the kind of thing that I think a lot of people see, and they just they roll their eyes like slot machines instantly, but. Uh, here it is. It's a story that comes to us from Oakville, Ontario. A steakhouse loses a $12,000 human rights tribunal ruling after ignoring a germaphobe's request. Now, the story goes that this uh, couple had been going for supper quite regularly on a weekly basis to this restaurant called Baton Rouge Steakhouse, which is a, just part of a chain of restaurants. We don't, we don't have them uh, out here, to the best of my knowledge. Um but this particular individual, he identified himself to to the restaurant staff. He said, "Look, I'm I'm a, I've got PTSD. Mm-hmm. I'm a germaphobe, OCD. yeah, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and uh, it's really tricky for me to to you know get through a meal. And, and you could help me out a great deal. And so for a, quite a while, they were doing the following to prepare for this guy's visits. Right? They would they would clean the they'd sit him in the same booth, and they would clean the seats for him upon arrival. Right." And they would bring him his cutlery on a plate. 
uh, so it wasn't mixed in with all the other cutlery or whatever, presumably. And uh, he wanted his water without a straw and without a lemon in it, just just a clean glass with the clean water in it. That's that's what I want. So anyway, eventually, um, the service starts to slip a little bit, and there comes a time when he's sitting in this booth waiting 45 minutes. The food took forever to come, upon which the manager... I came out and addressed the individual and said, look, you're, you're a very high-maintenance customer. The staff don't like serving you anymore. And uh, that was pretty much it. Well, and according to this guy, uh, again, and this is his claim, he claimed that the manager even said to him, quote, now I know why the police shoot crazy people like you. Well, there's that part, too. Yeah. Right. So that, it, that would be quite shocking. But what had happened in the fall of 2013 is that the restaurant uh, had changed ownership. And that's kind of when things went downhill. As you say, the visiting question, that all came to a head in December of 2013. So he felt as though the restaurant was not fulfilling an obligation to uh, to accommodate him. And so this ended up in the hands of the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. As the National Post describes it here, Tribunal Adjudicator Brian Cook said he found the complainant to be credible. And so the case was somewhat analogous to previous cases in which restaurants had denied access to customers who had a service animal or guide dog. So the situation in this case is somewhat more complex because here the applicant was initially accommodated. He was able to disclose his disability-related needs and develop the trust that he would be treated with respect. That trust was then undermined. So he didn't like the service he was getting. And I guess for most people would say, well, this place sucks. We'll go, let's go eat somewhere else. But I guess for him, and the view in the part of the tribunal is that he had uh, a disability. He disclosed that disability. It would be like coming in and saying, uh, I'm, I'm blind. Could someone help me to my seat or explain the menu to me? I don't know that it's directly analogous. But uh, again, so we're talking about PTSD, OCD, and germophobia, which right. seems a little more vague. But. Well, I, see, I, I, I kind of get it, and I get the analogy to, to somebody who has a service dog or a guide dog, right? Like, can you imagine if you were blind, a blind person, or just you had another uh, another type of service dog, I guess, and you'd grown accustomed, you, you'd found a, uh, you'd finally found a restaurant that said, yeah, absolutely, come on in, you're welcome here, the dog can uh, uh, can remain by your side while you eat, and uh, we, we don't have a problem with that, we'll gladly accommodate you. And then all of a sudden things change one day and then, you know, well, why, why have I been kind of getting different service around here? And a manager comes out and goes, look, we don't really want dogs coming in this restaurant anymore and uh, the hell with you. <clears throat> right? Like that would, that would change things. So the argument then is that they had established at this, at this location, they had established a level of accessibility for this individual that they now all of a sudden wanted to take away from him. And that's why the Human Rights Tribunal found in his favor for $12,000. So I have a fundamental question that's wrapped up in this, and I'll get to it in a sec. But I want to hear what, what other people have to say about this. Um, look, you, you've, you've got really all you need to know about the story. Uh, those are the facts of it. And it went to a human rights tribunal, and they said, yeah, you know what? Absolutely. That guy's got a point, and you owe him $12,000 in damages. Do you think that's right? Or do you think the guy should have just been basically tossed out of the restaurant and said, bah, you'll figure something else out, pal? Well, the decision found that the man had suffered injury to his dignity, feelings, and self-respect. The restaurant refused to make very simple accommodations, and hurtful comments were made. I, I think what worked against the restaurant is that, obviously, they had accommodated him initially. He felt comfortable there, and they, they took that away from him. I wonder if this would have been any different if they had simply said right from the get-go, 
we're not going to accommodate you. This is how it is. We clean every table the same. Every water comes with a straw. Too bad. Right? And because these themes do seem like minor things. If someone says, I'd just rather my water not have a straw in it, I don't think you're asking for a lot. You're saving the business the cost of, of including a straw. Really, you're doing the place a favor. You ever heard of staff straws, by the way? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you work in some restaurants, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, dear. Um, but that's the thing, yeah. So, you know, maybe if the restaurant had just right from day one said, look, we just we can't accommodate some of those those requests you're making, maybe they wouldn't have found themselves in this position. Well, and be careful here because there's two day ones, aren't there? There's day one under the old management and day one under the new management. Well, true, yeah. So, I mean, that that's kind of where part of this gets muddied. But let's go to the phones and hear from Mel first. Hi, Mel, go ahead. Oh, insert eye roll here. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I, I am the slot machine. I cannot believe that uh, this... Oh, anyways, the Human Rights Commission, let's go there. Um, seriously, this is a private business. Yeah, C- correct. Yeah, Mel, you know what? You get to it uh, to, to to my argument right away here, and and I see this as on par with some of those, uh, uh, you know, that that story, the proverbial bakery that doesn't want to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. Uh, I think that they should be allowed to do that. I just wish I knew where those places were so that I wouldn't go get my straight wedding cake from them. You know what I mean? Well, fair enough, but but we're talking about somebody who has a host of challenges being in public. Period. Right. And, and so my question to that individual is, why would you put yourself under so much stress and strain as to be in, in public and, and, and risk your stress level, OCD and all of the rest of that? Well, yeah, I, I can understand that. It seems as though it is something he was trying to, to not necessarily overcome, but, but manage to still be able to go out in public and found a comfortable place, a place that was willing to, to serve him the way he liked and, and Guess what? keep Things him comfortable. <laughs> I'm very comfortable going into McDonald's and speaking to a real person, and they took that away from me. Oh, well. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know, I know what you mean, but, but it's, it's interesting, though, because I think as Rob it's points out, like in, in a way, in a roundabout way, you're almost arguing th- this particular individual's point. Um, I, I feel, and let me run this by you, but I feel like the restaurant... Uh, should look at someone who comes in there uh, every week like clockwork and says, hey, this is a good arrangement. What can we do to keep you uh, happily accommodated? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I'm still rolling my eyes. <laughs> okay. I can't believe it. Okay, but, but you're more of the opinion that this isn't a real disability. If we were talking about someone who was blind or someone who was in a wheelchair, that it would be a different story, you think? That, that is different. Uh, you know, the, the, it sounds to me like this restaurant owner, new and old ownership, uh, tried to be accommodating. And when when business is busy, really, y- you're going to be annoyed that it took you 45 minutes to get your steak. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. Anyways, Raj, I got to go. But, you know, I got a friend of yours here, Joe, who says hi. Oh, cool. Well, say hi to Joe. I, I'm not entirely sure I know who you mean, but, I, but if I do, then uh, hey to him. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. All right, take care. I think that's Joe that I saw at the uh, uh, hockey rink a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I would say hi to Joe, too. <laughs> um, let's say hi to Mark, though, in the meantime. Hey, Mark. Hey, hi, guys. How you doing? Yeah. You know, this is an interesting case. I disagree with the tribunal being able to enforce their decision on that private restaurant. And I want to make a point. This has been going on now for quite a while now where um, – it's like causing a chilling effect as you as a private business owner where it's like you can't really set your own policies anymore. And if yeah, you that's know a good point, Mark. That, yeah. If you know 
like, I mean, it sounds like a good thing. This is the thing that concerns me. But if you look into it, if we have every little, like, I'll use the example saying like a hen pecker or some guy that just wants to cause trouble, if we all start catering to the individuals with whatever they say, I mean, that's not living in a free country, guys. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think that that, yeah, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as to say not living in a free country, but I do think, I understand the limitation that you're talking about as far as restaurants being able to, to set their own policies go. You know, it's, it's interesting to note, Mark, that in the, in the ruling, uh, excuse me, not in the ruling, but, uh, some, some comment from, uh, uh, some, from various, uh, you know, legal academics, et cetera, suggest that these things can be avoided just by having a polite way of explaining to an individual that, um, we're having a difficult time meeting your need for accessibility here. You know, if, if it was a, uh, a situation where it's like a wheelchair, for example, you know, the ramp out front of the restaurant and, uh, you know, adequate space and facilities, um, th- that that meets the need. I mean, it, it, it's not as though you can argue, oh, we're having a difficult time meeting the need. It's like that's built into the code. But in this case, I think that they could make a, a like a, a polite argument to the individual that oh. we're re- really struggling to accommodate you here, sir, as opposed to say no under cops shoot crazy people like you. Yeah, but also, guys, I know, but the thing, and also, too, I agree with that. But one thing, too, a final point is that we have all these special interest tribunals making policies now. We're forgetting that's what we have a justice system for. Yeah, I don't know if I want this going to court. I don't know if I want to. uh, But I mean, like, this is how we're supposed to handle the problems in our democracy or in Canada. That's why we have a functioning justice system. But you see now that we have all these other things that are coming in. And, and kind of like taking away our justice in a sense. All, All right, Mark. Cheers. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, i got some texts coming in, too. This one here says, as the wife of someone with OCD, I see the other side of this. It's something that can be very debilitating. Maybe we don't fully understand it. Uh, or this one here says, as a former business owner who has dealt with retail customers, I fired plenty of customers because they are high maintenance, regardless of how much they repeat. Some people's money just isn't worth it. 974-8255. Back with more of your calls right after this. Right, another text coming in in support of this uh, this guy. It says the guy had a disability. He disclosed it. The previous owner was accommodating. New owner wasn't. Problem is how the new owner went about it. Confronting your customer in that manner is a terrible way of doing business. I'm glad the restaurant was fine. Comes off as discriminatory. So that's one. I get the sense that a lot of people, certainly the text and the phone calls, a lot of people signing with a restaurant here. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's go back to the phones. 974-8255. Brendan, thanks for the call. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I don't typically agree with you, but I'm kind of surprised we do on this case. So, uh, yeah, like, what I liked was you said that if they approached this guy and just said, you know what, you need to maybe be accommodating towards the restaurant staff, or this isn't a new way we're going to do business, maybe this wouldn't have happened. I mean, to, to have a dramatic change, like, the tribunal obviously found something to say that they were discriminatory against him. Yeah. So... Like, human rights does not mean that just because you're missing a leg and you have to have a wheelchair that I deserve a wheelchair means that we can both access the same places fairly. Yeah, I've got a pretty simple look at this, uh, Brendan, and thanks very much for your phone call. But to me, it's it's not so much... Like, okay, if you're a server, what's your job? Is it to sell as many racks of rib as possible or is it to provide an exceptional experience to the people that come into your restaurant at, at, at that given moment, right? So it's kind of these these two mentalities. You've either got the the sell a bunch of ribs mindset, or else you've got the server's heart, who just says, "Yeah, this is possibly the only opportunity I have right now to make this a great moment for this person, so I'm going to maximize it." And and you know, there's successful servers uh, you know, who who do the latter, and then there's uh, people who just sell a lot of ribs. 
Yeah, well, let's look at in the National Post details what it was he, he, he needed. So it said staff would try and seat him in the same, same booth every time away from other patrons. That's going to be challenging depending how busy it is. Uh, says they would clean down the vinyl seats before he sat down. That doesn't seem overly. You'd do that anyway. Just do it with him well, watching. Sure. Right? Yeah. Bring his cutlery on a plate. Okay, well, you still got to bring the cutlery to the table. That might sound a little diva-ish, but that doesn't sound that, that difficult. Serve his water without a lemon or a straw. That seems no problem. Serve bread in a basket with a napkin and serve his baked potato in the way he liked. Well, people make requests all the time. Can I get a baked potato, but can you do it a certain way? Either you can or you can't. So I, I don't know. Most of that doesn't seem egregious, what he was asking for. You know, dressing on the side, by the way, used to be a huge ask. Can I get the dressing on the side? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> sure thing, queen. Um, and by the way, staff straws. My wife got mad at me for not explaining what staff straws are. Look, there's a lot of stuff in the restaurant. Straws, napkins. These are things that have a cash value to the proprietor, but you don't sell them. You don't get any... Uh, recompense for uh, issuing these things out. So if you are a staff member, you can have your drink, but you can't have a straw. No kidding. At some places that I worked. Wow. Let's go back to the phones. Nadine, go ahead. Hi, guys. Um, I don't agree that this was a human rights violation. Mm -hmm. Bad customer service, yes, very possibly. But to call it a human rights violation is just ridiculous. Being sold into slavery, that's a human rights violation. being withheld food and water, that's a human rights violation. This guy had the opportunity to get up and walk out. Yeah. He can protest the way they treated him by not giving him, them his business anymore. So he made the choice to sit there. He made the choice to be humiliated. He made that choice. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting how this was a violation. He could have got up and left. Yeah, there you and, go. Actually, I, I like your argument, but that's my argument for siding with the guy. Because he has all of those remedies available to him. And he can penalize the restaurant by never spending another one of his dollars there. That's why I don't think the, the restaurant owes him anything. Well, no, the restaurant doesn't owe him anything. Yeah. He was given bad customer service. Everybody gets bad customer service at some point or another. And if he's so into, like, if he's such a germaphobe, like, I'm quite sure when he goes into a shopping mall, they don't accommodate him by wiping everything down with disinfectant. So... Why is he not taking responsibility for his own illness? People do it every single day. They carry a can of Lysol. I've seen it. Nadine, appreciate the phone call. Let's get uh, one more in here. we got Doug on the line. Doug, go ahead. Hi, this is a great conversation, actually, um, from all of your other comments. Now, these individuals who have what I deem to be hidden disabilities, they're not physical in any form. Um, any kind of disability, learning disability, or what have you, perhaps in the future, people need to have, I don't know, a business card say, listen, I have a disability. I need to be accommodated accordingly. If not, you are treated just like every Joe public out there going, yeah, bad business decision probably by the restaurant guy, but to actually get paid. And probably the comments that you had mentioned earlier, really not right, but... There you go. All right. Thanks for that phone call, Doug. Appreciate it. He gets the last, uh, the last word on this matter. Yeah, that's going to do it for us uh, here today. We'll go to uh, a podcast, uh, which you can find a little bit later today, uh, up at uh, rorohshow.com. Uh, find it on uh, iTunes and in your local convenience store. Right? Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, still, yeah, that's yeah. in the works. We're at Circle Sorry. K.
<laughs> right at the till there, behind the jar of pickled right. eggs. Uh, Daniel Smith will be in after the news uh, to 1230 here. Uh, we'll be back with you Monday morning at 930. Have a great weekend. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 930 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.